Hello, everybody. Welcome to Locked On Suns, part of the Locked On Podcast Network. Today, as always, your host, Evan Sedner, and joined by co-host Brendan Clean. You can follow me on Twitter at eSedner. You can follow Brendan on Twitter at BrendanClean14. Also, for our Locked On Suns for page, you haven't already, at Locked On PHX Suns. Your supporter is very much appreciated, as always. As you guys know by now, we'll let you know on Friday, we're going down to three days a week now at the office now, beginning for the Phoenix Suns. So, no more Tuesday and Thursday episodes left for some breaking, but Monday, Wednesday, and Friday, stay locked in a Locked On Suns, guys. We bring you... A-plus content throughout the offseason year, leading throughout into September's training camp in Flagstaff. So we're, we're going to kick off the offseason here with our first mailbag episode. It's been, it's been a while since we've done one. We're going to end the season off with this. And we got a lot of interesting questions in the mailbags. So appreciate everyone doing that on at Locked on PHX Suns. So I guess we can just dive right into it, Brandon. I'll ask you the first question here. It's from our loyal listener, Antalika. So I think you replied in there as well. But I just want to confirm to other people out there that, that didn't see the reply. I'd like to understand the mistakes surrounding Uber trade. And how they've been addressed. Pretty big failure they lucked into into due to general incompetence. Really got that trade wrong, yet somehow won it. Scary considering they wanted Rivers, who we quickly dumped. And I, I know you replied there saying they originally wanted Dylan Brooks to Kelly Oubre, but just to tie it all together with Antelico's question there, just how big of a of a luck was it for the Phoenix Suns that they originally wanted a guy Dylan Brooks, but then they got Kelly Oubre, and Oubre paid such big dividends. I think it was huge when you look at how everything turned out. I originally agreed with Antilocos thinking they wanted Rivers because I think I still believe he makes sense for what they needed. You know, Tyler Johnson, not the exact same player, but I think you would have seen a similar impact from Rivers. I think they were concerned about the locker room and just him wanting to be on a competitive team. I think that's why there were problems in Washington. And so obviously he goes to the Rockets and might get to compete for a championship depending on how things go in the playoffs here. So it worked out on both sides, I think. And when you compare Brooks to Ubre directly, I think it's even bigger of a win for the Suns because Brooks didn't play this year after that injury. So he got shut down, and maybe that's partially because the Grizzlies' season went sideways and they didn't want to push it with him. But whatever it is, the impact Ubre made is substantially bigger than what Rivers would have done, what Dylan Brooks would have done, and obviously what uh, Marshawn Brooks would have done if if that had gone down. So. A huge, huge luck, I guess, if you want to call it that. But I, I do give the Suns some credit because they did re-engineer the trade and decide to take Ubre. You know, it wasn't something where they just said, screw it, let's go with the confusion. You know, they didn't take Marshawn Brooks just to get the deal done and get off of Ariza. They went and found Ubre, and I think they they do deserve some credit. I think it went better than anyone could have imagined, but... A huge part of its luck. I think a lot of it also is pretty savvy uh, transaction. Yeah, for sure. I think the two trades that James Jones Paul this year, I think we're both in agreement that the Uber and the Tyler Johnson for Ryan Anderson swap really paid off for the Phoenix Suns this year. But looking at Dylan Brooks' stats here, I know he was injured last year. I don't want to uh, keep it on Dylan Brooks here for a little bit, but he's a smaller guy compared to Kelly Uber. I think he's six foot five and a half. He has a smaller wingspan. Was he like going to be used as a three in the Sun system? Because I feel like compared to a guy like Kelly Oubre, he's much more longer and lengthier. I just those two guys, Brooks and, and Uber, are just feel like way different than they originally thought they'd be. Agreed. I don't think they're very similar players. And I'm, I mean, I'll, I'll admit too, if we're kind of doing going back to what we were thinking at the time of this deal, which I haven't really thought about in a while, but I, I know I, I said I may be in a story on Brightside, maybe in, on Twitter, maybe both, maybe here on the podcast. I was not sold on the fact that Ubre was big enough to really be an answer for them what with for what 
Ariza was, right? We saw Ariza basically once Ryan Anderson left the rotation early on in the year, Ariza was the backup four in addition to the starting three. He was playing above 35 minutes a game most nights because of how much they needed him with Anderson being so bad. They didn't really have anybody besides TJ Warren who could play the four when Bender was still out of the rotation at that point. So I was skeptical that Ubre was going to be able to do that, that double duty there. And between Josh Jackson, Mikhail Bridges, and Ubre, they really found a way with Warren missing time pretty much from the moment that Ubre arrived. Warren didn't play too much after that, and they still made it work and, and actually made the team better with Ubre's physicality and uh, rebounding ability, shot blocking ability at the four. So I, I think this this really worked out, and I think that's the reason you and I have been so high on re-signing Ubre. Is he really checked every box and then some. For sure. I think the Ubre signing, I looking back at his numbers, he averaged 17 points in Phoenix, put career highs across the board. I think he's a great fit in Igor's system. I think we touched on this in the, the media day episode here on Locked on Suns last week that Ubre also mentioned Igor as a guy who really helped help him out this year. So I think tying into that question here from Durier Wallace, we're going to move on to our next question here. What specifically do you want Elliot Kobo and Elliot, or excuse me, DeAnthony Mellon and Elliot Kobo to focus on this offseason? Out of the two, which one would be the one you trade and the one you keep? It's an interesting question because if they get a guy like John Morant, for example, in the draft, I think there's no way they keep both these guys around. Yeah, well, why don't we start with what they should work on, and, and that might you know might play a part depending on how much the team actually sees from these guys. They did say at the media availability to end the year that just like last season, Igor made it a, a focus to be here to be at the facility over the summer with how many young guys are still, you know, superstars go travel around the country and do other types of stuff during the summer. But I think they're benefiting from a lot of these guys still being young and taking the summer to just work on their game. And I think that should continue this summer and I think it will. So maybe they will see enough from either of those guys to actually have that factor in. And I would want Melton to focus on, um, just aggressiveness on offense, getting more comfortable driving, attacking the basket, um, you know, playing through contact, building up his strength and, and quickness kind of just felt a little bit rusty in that area. Even by the end of the year, having missed his sophomore season, maybe I'm playing that too much into what it was, but it it definitely was a weak spot in his game where defenses just knew he wasn't going to drive and he wasn't going to be able to finish when he got there. Akobo, I would just say, you know, not anything drastic, right? I think he just played like a rookie point guard. I think he, his instincts on defense need to improve, but you know that's not really a skill training thing. That's that's just getting reps. So I think he'll be in summer league for sure. I would imagine both of these guys are in summer league, and for Akobo, it might just be be that you know getting on competitive, getting into competitive games in, in the preseason, in training camp, in summer league, and just building up those reps, continuing that transition from a non-competitive French league to what he's facing here in the NBA. For me, just what interests me is that, like you said, he covered a lot of the bases there. D'Anthony Mon, I think, needs to work a lot on his offensive game. He pretty much has, outside of a catch-and-shoot three that sometimes is consistent, he has a lot to work on almost in all three levels of the floor from a scoring perspective. Elliot Koba, I think he's more along the lines of what you said just defensively. I think he needs some work. But obviously, as you guys know from last year, during the pre-draft process, you guys know Elliot Koba, he's only been a point guard now for – just under two years. He's been a combo guard almost his whole career at shooting guard in France. He's transitioning over to that still. I think it's going to take a little bit now. From going to shooting guard to point guard, I know Devin Booker may look pretty easy this past year or two, but I think Elio Kobo 
is a guy who might need a little more seasoning in that route there. But as far as answering Duryea's question here about Okobo or Mellon, which one would I rather keep? I think it'd be D'Anthony and Mellon. But here's a question I want to toss back to you to answer this as well for Duryea's question. Just if Mellon reaches a a higher ceiling offensively and Okobo reaches a, a, an equally higher ceiling defensively, adding in what they already have to their games, which one of these has the highest upside if they reach their full potential? I think it depends on on kind of – it's so hard to extrapolate the two. I would start with saying I think they're both going to be pretty good players. I really do. I think they really hit on both of these guys. We saw a little less from Okobo just because I think what he's bad at right now shows up in a bigger way. But I think you can see from the fact that both of these guys got pretty equal playing time that they both were were doing what they were supposed to do. So – I mean, I don't think they'll keep both, but I don't think it would be the worst thing ever to keep both. If I had to pick one and kind of banking on the ceiling, I would say, you know, winning basketball, what we're seeing work at the highest levels right now. And especially when you think about balancing Devin Booker long term, I think it's Anthony Melton. But I could easily see Elia Kobo just because of how natural a scorer he is, how big he is, physically kind of overwhelming. I think he could be in his future. I could see him reaching a higher ceiling as far as individual talent, but I think Melton just fits so much better with Booker because of his defensive upside, catch-and-shoot ability. He can kind of help you in a lot of ways without having the ball, which I think is important for Booker. But uh, wait, go ahead. If, if Did you say which one? No, I'll, yeah, I was just going to say D'Anthony and Melton real quick just because defensive upside, you add in that. If he adds in just a, a floater in mid-range game, just a – the simple layup that he can finish through contact. I feel like it just takes his game to another level. He's a guy who I can think in his peak could average like Patrick Beverly S numbers. I've been pounding the tail for that comparison for a little bit now, but I feel like if he gets better offensively, that that could be a ceiling. Definitely. And I think uh, you'll, I think it, it'll take less for Melton to be a pretty valuable NBA player next year than it will for Okobo. I think Okobo is maybe still a little while away, which might factor in as well. If they're trying to at least, you know, kind of maybe, use the Kings season this year as a template, maybe not getting near 40 wins next year, but being that fun team that's competitive on a lot of nights, maybe the guy who's closer to being NBA ready in DeAnthony Melton makes a little bit more sense there. But um, do you want to do another question here? Do you want to take a break and, and do our next one? Let's just run a quick one here. I picked one out here from Joshua Pasco at Joshua Pasco 11. And it relates probably to what we're going to dive in more on the next time. I imagine just Eric Akashka has been some smoke, not like actual reports, ending, just some Twitter banter back and forth about Igor Kokoshkov's keep, keep his job or not after a 19 and 63 season. Me and you both are in the camp that he should keep his job for what we saw in the second half of the season with some player development. But going to Josh's question here, I'll throw it back your way, Brennan. I believe Igor should be given another season to develop the young core and at least have NBA caliber players for a whole season. And saying that, with all the recent firings of coaches, who would be your target if Igor was to be let go? I think Joshua wants J.B. Bickerstaff to be the Suns coach. I think I'm reading between the lines here. No, I don't think so. I, I mean, what, the, the firing of coaches, I, I guess, uh, but one of them already got hired again, the one who was actually connected with the Suns and in, in, um, Sean Devaney's reporting. So Luke Walton is not an option anymore. I don't think J.B. Bickerstaff is quite an NBA coach. I think we've seen that two or three times now and probably – Never will be at this point. You know, I don't see him being worth it. Dave Yeager, I think, is one that people will get interested in. And as a coach, I definitely agree. Uh, but I would say I would point to two things with 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 uh, Yeager that would make me hesitant is considering the kind of turmoil in the front office here. 
and the the need to build through young players. Those have been two things Jaeger's been unwilling to do for the most part. Uh, reports have come out he didn't get along with Marvin Bagley, uh, didn't want to play Buddy Heald, and even supported the idea of trading Buddy Heald. Uh, so with how much playing time is going to need to go to young players next season in Phoenix, I don't think that makes sense, and I don't think uh, – it would make sense for expecting to him him to get along with a, a front office that is so disorganized right now. I mean, maybe Jeff Bauer's an answer, but bringing Jaeger in, who seems to butt heads with everyone he gets in contact with in a front office role, to this situation doesn't seem like much either. So, of the guys who have gotten fired, I don't really see anyone. And you know, outside of the very top candidates who probably won't be interested in the Suns, I think you're looking at a guy who is just a different version of Igor at that point. Another assistant, another player development guy. Yeah, I'm with, I'm there with you. I think there's very few candidates in the NBA right now. I'd fire your call score for it. It might seem like a hot take. I know some some fans might rule their eyes at that statement, but I just feel like the progress we saw in the last 20 games when they were fully healthy, just remember, guys, in a 10-game stretch and end of February, mid-March, when everyone was healthy, then the next game after that, Uber went down, Johnson went down. When everyone was together for that, that final stretch of the season, they were 6-4. and four. Their net rating was a plus zero. They were middle of the pack in both defense and offense, 15th and 16th respectively, per 100 possessions. It just it feels like to me that if they have another year under Igor's system, they're going to take a leap at least from being terrible to average. I feel like that mid-30s could be a realistic goal next year if they just add in a few pieces here and there. But one name that really intrigues me, I actually got DM this by one of my followers, and it really caught my attention because this makes a lot of sense just because if they were to move on from Igor, I think this is one name that makes sense to me in the playoffs right now. If the if the Sixers lose to the Brooklyn Nets in the first round, I think Brett Brown is fired. And if Brett Brown wants a job, I think the Suns might be a good place for him. Personally, I will not fire Igor for, for Brett Brown, but I know some Suns going to really be interesting like Brett Brown. If he does get fired by Philly and they really fail out in the playoffs, would you kick the tires on a guy like that? You wouldn't? You wouldn't do that? I, it's just tough to me because I, I just feel like what we saw from Igor, I feel like he's a good coach, but... I can understand him not doing it. And also you see the success from Brett Brown and Philly building that culture there and also in San Antonio before that. But it'd be an upgrade, but I just feel like it'd be a little rush to judgment. But Brett Brown's a legit coach. Yeah, that's fair. I agree with you to a certain degree that I'm not positive that he's an upgrade. I think that's part of why I'm interested in in Igor. I mean, I agree that he has not, you know, he didn't deliver. And and he was he was honest and open about that too. You know, you're as a coach, you're you're judged by your record. You're judged by how you performed as a team and and they didn't perform well. And that's obvious. And I understand there's a lot of things that in game, even that he wasn't necessarily reacting to the way that you might've hoped, you know, Jamal Crawford, just the weird guard rotations playing Josh Jackson at the four as a, as a defensive four for far longer than I would have liked. Um, not starting Ubre for a while there was kind of, a weird one. And, and there's, there's a lot of things you can point to, but I mean, think about Brett Brown. We're talking about now as a guy uh, who could do that. I don't think anyone would have felt necessarily like coach who could get you to the playoffs when he was winning single digit, double digit games for the first several years of his career there. So I'm not saying Igor is going to make this team into a 52 50 win team either, but I think you, you at least owe him that with the progress that he showed as a coach himself. So Brett Brown is definitely a name that that's going to, I mean, he's going to get a job somewhere if he gets fired that there's no doubt about that. So I would imagine the sun's uh, thing will already be kind of sewed up though. At that point, that's one 
other reason. You know, if if Brown, even if he gets out at the end of the first round and that that series goes seven, it's already the end of April at that point. If the Suns still haven't decided on Igor by that point, that's <laughs> that's a problem. So I think we'll hear about the Suns' decision far before Brown would even be available, and that might complicate it as well. Yeah, that's a good point, Brant, there. And I'm kind of surprised we haven't heard from Suns PR yet about there's going to be a press conference for Jeff Bauer and James Jones. I feel like if we don't hear back in a couple of days, that it just seems like they're going to be in the dark about that and just let it ride. But interesting nonetheless. But before we go on to our next segment, guys, I want to tell you guys really quickly about our Locked on NBA Twitter account. If you've not already done so, go and give us a follow at Locked on NBA Net. During the playoffs especially, it's a valuable, super valuable resource because Brent and I both follow the account. We're staying up to date up to the minute with the latest playoff news. Is Joel Embiid going to be sitting out day two? Or game two, is he is Giannis going to just steamroll his way past the Pistons in four games? It sure seems that way. Cover all the news on NBA and the playoffs especially. Go follow at Locked on NBA now on Twitter to keep up with the latest. I want to also tell you guys about Homie. I guess we have a new uh, Suns uh, member who could take advantage of Homie. If Jeff Bauer is looking to buy here, maybe uh, listens to our show to catch up on what he's missing here with the Suns, take advantage of Homie, Jeff Bauer. Uh, $1,500, about probably, what, 0.01% of your salary to sell your home at Homey. That's just listing and closing, everything all in one, just $1,500. That means that on average, all Homey customers are saving about 10000 actually over, over $10,000 on average. And a, a recent sale saved one homeowner over $60,000 on their million-dollar home. So the higher you're reaching, if that dream home is... It's time to pull the trigger on what you've been waiting for your whole life and you're looking to really pony up. You're just going to save more. That's how it works with Homie. Uh, they save, they, they let you qualify, help you qualify for a $5,000 buyer refund on the back end as well. So you're recouping some of that money and you are being supported when you're doing that. So they have a team there that's going to do this for you. This is not, you know, here's the steps, figure it out on your own. This is, you know, they understand the difficulties, the stress, the confusion that can go into this for first time buyer, or even if you've done it before, but are just kind of lost. I think that's fair. I think a lot of people are, I know I'm not ready to go dive in and do this on my own. And so that team of attorneys, agents, support staff, just an easy to use system that they've put together there is, is probably, you know, one of the best parts and something that'll really help you figure it all out and take advantage of the, the savings that they're offering here at Homie. So to learn more about my friends at Homie, I want you guys to text the word SUNS. That's S-U-N-S, of course, to 88588. Again, get out your phone, text the word SUNS to 88588. All right, let's move on here to our next question. Thanks again for all the questions, guys. Feel free to send us anything. I mean, if you guys have stuff you want to ask, if any news breaks or anything, we're always down to do a mailbag because obviously it's it's what you guys want to hear rather than us just guessing. So feel free to send at any point. But let's go on to Josh Stockton's question here. That's at jstock underscore 10. Should DeAndre Ayton break out the three next year? And if so, how do the Suns compensate for rebounds when he's beyond the arc? I think that's a really good question. I think that's uh, <laughs> several steps ahead where most people are thinking about this, to be honest, as far as DeAndre Ayton shooting threes, they just think, oh, I really liked when he did that at Arizona. I want to see it. I think it speaks to why he didn't do it more this year. Uh, the Suns were a bad rebounding team. That was already a problem in the past. So do you think we see it to start next season, Evan? And if so, kind of 
how does that change or impact what they're looking for with the rest of the front court? I do think we see it. I feel like it's not going to be as much as DeAndre kind of says it. Cause I mean, whenever, whenever we see him and talk to him in the locker room, he's like, just wait guys. When I break this up, the NBA is not going to be ready for it. But I feel like it's going to be more like one and a half to twos, three point tenths per game at maximum next year. I think it's just a progressive thing. It's going to be more and more each year, but it's an interesting question Josh brings up because if he is behind the three point line, he's their best offensive rebounder, their best rebounder overall. You have Kelly Uber, you have Josh Jackson, Kilber is down there fighting against the big guys. It kind of speaks to what they need. If they if they somehow got Zion Williamson, I think this answers his own question, Josh's question here. But if they don't get a guy like Zion Williamson down there, I think it just kind of goes to show that what they need to target. If DeAndre is going to be a guy who eventually stretches the four to three, they need a rebounder at the four, a plus rebounder who has length on him, who he can also bully down inside. I think so. I mean, I think I while I think it's an interesting thing to think about, I don't necessarily think uh it's worth worrying about now if that makes sense like eventually when you're talking about you know competing in the playoffs and that that high level kind of chess match that goes on you want to balance out all categories of the game but i mean if the suns are are fine with eight and shooting those every so often even if they don't get somebody who's as good on the glass as zion or you know a really high caliber four right away here. I think, you know, that's fine. You adjust, you, you just say, okay, we're not going to really try to compete on the offensive glass like that as often. We'll just get back in transition, which I think Igor would already prefer to do. He'd already prefer to have that transition defense be sealed off rather than attacking the offensive boards. I think that's our, you know, that's, that's been his mandate even this year. They weren't an aggressive offensive rebounding team in the first place. So I think that it would just be more of the same in that in that region. And I think if if it was a problem where they just were getting completely outmatched on the glass every night and weren't able to get easy points or anything, then maybe you adjust and, and that's fine. But for for now, I think seeing what Aiden can do doing more on the perimeter is important and we'll start to see more of it. And I think the adjustments will have to come in time. But I wouldn't be too worried about that yet. And I would say what they do at the four, I think, will definitely shore up the glass regardless of if Aiton starts shooting threes. I'm right there with you. I feel like it's going to be a progressive thing. Like we had Shemin do of bourbon street shots on, and he talked about Anthony Davis's development, how it took three or four years for even had the confidence and the trust from his coaching staff to start shooting threes consistently really stretching the floor. I think it's kind of what they're doing with Deandre and maybe in year two, year three, we see more of that, but it's going to be a progressive thing in my opinion. But let's move on to our second question here in the second segment from Jose Brinez at JR Brinez. And he says, if they don't get the first or second pick, what's next? So pretty much saying if we don't get Zion Williamson or John Morant, what should they do? And I think we're both in agreement that if they don't get either of those guys, they're going to try their hardest to trade that pick. Yeah, I mean, I, I've been saying for a while now, if I if they don't get the first pick, I would look pretty aggressively to trade it. Uh, I just think John Morant fits, fits fine here. I, I don't think it would be a fit problem in my mind necessarily, but I guess to me it's just the the situation as the roster gets older. You know, Devin Booker is already on his second contract. DeAndre Ayton, I think, is already in a place where he can – at least compete on a decent team, even if he's not an all-star right away. And the rest of the the guys, they're going to continue to get older. I, I don't mean everybody will be one year older. I mean, the role players, I think, will be far uh, more stacked with veterans than rookies like it was the past two seasons. So bringing Morant in, to me, 
doesn't even make sense. So either way, I think his real question is, what do they do if they don't get their guy at the top of the draft? And I think we've talked about it plenty, right? I think they try to use that pick to either deal it directly for a player, Drew Holiday, or a high-level player like that if one becomes available, or just trade back, acquire extra assets, and maybe take a player who's more NBA ready right away when, you know, in the, the back half of the lottery. I think those are, are both options. Do you see anything that's incredibly realistic in that realm or anything that sticks out to you? I feel like the most realistic scenario, they don't get one or two. And if a guy they like, let's say if the Cavs get two and the Suns get three, I feel like they'll still get John Moran at three. And I'm with you on John Moran. I feel like it's a, a smart move to move his rights for a guy like Drew Holiday or Mike Conley. But I just feel like, especially when the – the shadow owner, so to say, we like to call him Larry Fitzgerald, was on a scouting trip with Robert Sarver. I feel like that's pretty noble with Evansville, Indiana, in March to go see John Moran. I feel like they really must like him a lot. And I think that that's probably their board is Zion Jaw or trade the pick. So I'm in agreement with you on John Moran, but I think if they do land him at two or three, they're going to keep him and take him. But as far as a realistic center, if they want to trade back, I think a really interesting one for me is either the Lakers, where you get Lonzo Ball and it trade back from like three to 11. And they can get a guy like whoever they want at three, like an RJ Bear, for example. I don't think that makes sense, LeBron, but just hypothetical there. If they move back, get Lonzo and move up eight, eight spots. Another one for me is Aaron Gordon. I don't know if it makes sense for them, but maybe move back from three to like 15 or 16, get Aaron Gordon. Then you take a guy in the mid first round, like a Kobe White, maybe. Maybe that makes some sense for them. Another one that I like as well, as far as just possibilities, is just moving back overall. If they don't, if Ja and Zion are off the board, maybe you move back from three or four to six or seven and you get Brandon Clark and you also pick up a, a future asset in the process. Yeah, those are all good. I think, um, I would say the bar for who I know it's a weaker draft, but I would just be careful on and sons for an office. Be careful. Yeah. Okay. But just thinking about it, there, there has to be a line. I, I don't want this to become a panic situation. If I'm the Suns, where, just because they have a pick and they don't have somebody that they want, you know, the smart teams would just probably, if a deal doesn't materialize, take the player and figure it out. So even if they end up with Jarrett Culver and he doesn't make a whole ton of sense, I know the, the inclination for fans who have watched that go poorly, you know, 2016, they draft two guys at the same position and both might be gone by the end of this summer that's a problem and you want to avoid having that happen, but you also have to act like you're a capable franchise, right? You can't just use those past mistakes against yourself. So I don't think Aaron Gordon's quite the caliber of player that would warrant that. I don't think, you know, necessarily trading back unless you have a fixed plan with how you want that to work for you long-term. Maybe if you're getting another, another future pick that that could be something that's valuable to replace, you know, the Miami pick that they gave up for Mikhail Bridges and that type of situation uh, that would be kind of my thing is not to just do it because you don't love anybody at three or four, but to do it with a plan in place or at the very least do it where you're, you're getting some extra value. So I think Drew Holiday is definitely up there. I don't even know if Mike Conley is, to be completely honest. I think he's probably right on the borderline of that's just a very high pick. You know, those, those types of picks go for superstar players. You know, the Lakers, if you were to do something like that, the Lakers would do that and then turn around and flip it as part of a package for Anthony Davis. So if you're talking about that level of value, doing it for a borderline all-star player is not quite what I would do, but it's going to be huge. It's going to be a very important decision because they have a lot of young guys at this point and um, not a lot of, of room to add more, but 
why don't we do one more question in this segment just because it factors in actually why don't we take a break and then we'll do a kobe white question because we had a, a listener ask and i know you just mentioned him that could be definitely an option if they were to trade back but before we go into that i know you guys watch the playoffs uh, i saw a lot of discussion on twitter and thinking about how the suns can steal players that are on playoff teams which uh, is always fun to do but probably not realistic if you want to hear about what happened this weekend uh, upsets on saturday a bunch of blowouts on sunday check out the locked on nba show they have you up to date on Monday morning here with experts from each of the teams that, that had some surprising results, Nets, Spurs, Rockets, to fill you in on all those games with host Josh Lloyd. And then every day throughout the week, everything that goes on will be covered. 30-minute episodes to get you up to date to start the day, figure out whatever you missed out on, and, uh, and refuel on, on all your NBA content. So check out the Locked On NBA show. And don't forget, when you get in your car, when you get home, tell your smart speaker to play the podcast Locked On NBA. All right, to that Kobe White question, that is Kurt Bowen at Kurt, I don't even know, bad boy, looks like, bad boy KB. Uh, Car for his avatar, nice white car. What do you guys think about Kobe White? Pretty open-ended question, but he's not somebody we've necessarily talked about a ton because I don't think he's going to be an option at two, three, four, but... If they do trade back or if he really impresses them in workouts, maybe White's an option. What do you think about him? Yeah, he, he could be an option, but I haven't really been thinking about him because I'd be, just be stunned at this point. If it, I took another rookie point guard that wasn't John Morant just because from what I've heard and from what we've seen from the Suns related to John Morant, I just feel like he's their only point guard they're interested in in this draft class. But if they were to move back, like the Aaron Gordon scenario I mentioned, like move back from 3 to 15 or 16, get Aaron Gordon, pick up a guy like Kobe White, that wouldn't be a bad thing. I think Kobe White... He's a underrated facilitator. I feel like he's a really good scorer. He's very fast. He's not De'Aaron Fox level fast, but he is pretty fast. I think he'd be an okay finish to Booker. I feel like there's better fits in this class, though. I feel like not only is John Moran a better fit than Cody White, but I also feel like Darius Garland's a better fit. See, I don't really like Darius Garland here. I think he's going to be pretty, has a pretty long way to go on defense, and he's a guy that. Everything I've seen from him, that's not to say a guy that can shoot like he can, can't adapt, but he's been a guy at every level watching highlights and stuff of him from high school, watching what he did at Vanderbilt. The ball needs to be in his hands. So uh, that one's an interesting one. I think a team that can kind of hand their offense over to him probably makes more sense. But I think White, you know, the way that I would think about White, I, I think he's probably more NBA ready in certain areas. Uh, he's kind of the opposite of Morant in some ways where what he can do are the two things that Morant can't do, which are, you know, defend multiple positions probably earlier on in his career with his size, Kobe white, and then shoot. I think he's going to be an incredible shooter and probably early on can at least knock down some open threes, some open threes off the catch so th- those are two areas that Morant's going to struggle in. So in some ways, I think the the fit early on might be better. You know, he probably doesn't have a high, as high of a ceiling, but I would think about it stacking stacking your trades on top of each other. So I think the two big trades the Suns would be looking at this summer are what they do with the pick if they don't want to take somebody, and then potentially offloading TJ Warren's contract to free up cap space. Those are the two big ones that that I think are in play the most as things stand right now. And so you can kind of think, you know, if, if you need to add Elia Kobo or some sort of sweetener to make the deal work, 
on the TJ Warren front, maybe you replenish that by taking somebody like white in a trade back situation. So you kind of like think about them in conjunction. And I think that's one way where white might make some sense. Here's a fun little question for, before I go into the next question here. And it's just a, with Josh Jackson's hair, I know he had an afro here for a year and he had to shave it off because the sun was too bad here and it was too hot. Kobe white has probably the best hair in this draft class. It's a very big afro. I think it's bigger than Josh Jackson ever was over under that he keeps it. If he was directed by Phoenix for six months. <laughs> Good question. Alfred Payton ended up doing the same thing. Maybe his time in Phoenix encouraged that as well. <laughs> yeah, that's a good question. He probably has to get rid of it. And then we would just be the the fun hair killers. I mean, people just come here and then the reason people like them goes away right away. But why don't yeah. we move on to um, at LeVar Ball Jr. Uh, okay. The Northern Arizona, Arizona Rodeo Clowns Reddit. Uh, this guy changes his Twitter name like every day. Um, top five point guard and power forward targets this summer. We've kind of hinted at a lot of guys throughout the year, but I don't think we've ever done five of each. No. So why don't you go first on point guards? Alrighty, I made this. I saw this question at the top of the show, so I've been thinking throughout the show about this list. And this is a pretty fluid list. And for me, apologies that I missed anyone. Obviously, you can probably help me out, Brent, if I did, but. For me, here, I'm going to start with point guard and go to power forward. For point guard, in no particular order, Drew Holiday slash Mike Conley. I feel like one of those guys will betray this offseason. I don't know who. So that's top of my list. Number two is Spencer Dinwiddie. I feel like he's a very underrated option. And we had a mailback question about Dinwiddie as well. I tweeted this during game one of the Net Sixers series, but the way he just like commands the floor, his his size, he also put in the Jet Bauer factor. I know you traded for Karen Barristow, but he at least discovered him. I feel like he's a guy who makes a lot of sense. I know the Suns were also interested in on Dinwiddie before the season started. I know Ryan McDonough was trying to work the phones for guys like Dinwiddie and DeLon Wright. So might be not what James Jones is looking for, but if they if he was looking for a guy like Dinwiddie in preseason, he might be a guy who's available if they want to pay D'Angelo Russell this summer. Then I have Terry Rozier. I know Suns fans do not want Terry Rozier at this point after originally wanting him six months ago, but with how he's been playing this year, I think it's a, not really a good scenario, but – He's one of the last options on my list here. I think he's a guy in restricted free agency who can make a lot of money still. I think the Suns could be smitten by him, even though that's just a bad idea, in my opinion. Just the race folding agent thing is still interesting to me. But John Morant is the next one on my list. Easy thing, easy one there. Don't really have to explain much. They get two or three. I think they're going to take John Morant. And then the final point guard on my list here, Ricky Rubio. I think from an Igor Koshkov standpoint, also a realistic standpoint from free agency, I think he's the best free agent fit for them. So going from point guard to power forward here, I'm going to run through these really quickly. Back to free agency for a second. Al Farouk Aminu, alongside the lines of Ricky Rubio, I think those are the two most realistic free agent targets at each position. I think Aminu would be a great fit here. Noah Vonley is my other target as well. I've been hitting on him a little bit on the podcast the past few months. I think just as a young option, he's like 23 or 24. He can rebound, he can shoot, he can stretch the floor. I think he's an underrated option as well. Thaddeus Young, if he leaves Indiana, is another option. I like him as a veteran presence and a defensive leader. Then you'll have Brandon Clark and Zion Williams from the draft. There, not much to explain with those guys. They're kind of perfect fits next to DeAndre Ayton. All right, I like all those options. I think uh, Noah Vonley. I, I, if they end up signing him or have some interest, you will be the one guy on that hill. Not that I don't think he's a good player, but just uh, noticing him and, and thinking about his fit before anyone else. I don't necessarily love it, just because I, I think I want more of an experienced guy who I trust as Aiton kind of fills out his game and we know how up and down he is. And I think that will continue next season, even if it's fewer and further between. Um, so I don't have one on my list, but I'll start with power forward. I mean, number one, Zion, I think that's fairly obvious. So moving on to 
I agree. Alfred Camino is not, I don't think we've really talked about him much here, but I did a mailbag over at right side of the sun uh, last week that I, I just was really thinking about him and Portland. I think depending on what they do in the playoffs, depending on kind of what happens, that team just feels like it needs a change and not anything huge, but I think kind of getting some more shooting in there might help. They just might go a different direction. It wouldn't surprise me if he were to leave Um, Thad Young on third on my list, Taj Gibson fourth. And then I just threw Kevin Love on there just as a thing to keep in mind. I don't necessarily know how realistic it is. I don't know if he's really worth the money, but if, if they were able to free up some money and kind of make a trade that, that made sense. I, I could see it. It's not my first option. Of course, that's why I have it fifth, but not, not a bad idea. If I could be talked into it, I guess. And then point guards, I have drew holiday first, Mike Conley second. And then this will segue into uh, another question that I saw that we got. Maybe we can close on that one. I know we're getting late here and we've touched on a lot of the other ones, even if we haven't directly answered them. And it's Ben Simmons um, just because we're all going to overreact to the Sixers losing game one, so we might as well put him on the list now, uh, consider him available. And then I'll go Rubio four and Morant five. But why don't we talk about Simmons a little bit? Because he's really shown some warts now in the past six playoff games he's played in. And if they under if they underwhelm, I think that trading Simmons might be one of the last things that they think about, but it could it could happen. And the Suns don't have the best assets in the league, but I think they'd be interested, right? Oh, for sure. I, I think at that point, what would you not get for Ben Simmons? I, I, the thing is, from Ben Simmons' standpoint, from the Sixers' standpoint, I think the, they're not going to answer the Suns' calls unless Devin Booker is involved in that. And I, I, there's no way that happens. And if it doesn't take Booker, it's, they're going to ask for DeAndre and they're going to say no. So if we're going down the list here, I think... I, I don't think... I mean, I don't think so. I, I feel like... I'm not even. I mean, I put him third on that list. How? How? I mean, the the Suns, the the Pelicans wouldn't ask for Devin Booker for Drew Holiday. I know Ben Simmons has better value, right? I mean, he's younger. He's on a cheap contract right now. All those things. I, I get why his trade value is higher, but I think you're overrating how much it would take to get him, especially if thing. We're assuming things go south. If they make the conference finals, he's not available, and in, and he's probably played a lot better at that point. But right now, I mean, if, if he keeps playing the way he has and it's more and more obvious that he has a lot of work to do on his game to fit in, in with a, a team, I don't know. I mean, I think you could get him for – I mean, you have to give up a lot, but, like, their first this year and like, Kale Bridges, Bridges. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I don't, I don't know if I would do that, but it, that's not a crazy trade. I don't think it would take Booker or Aiton. Yeah, I, I agree with you there. I just think that just from a – value standpoint i'm just very worried about trading away like mckeel burrs i know it takes a superstar trade like a robert covington jimmy beller thing i think that's what the road mckeel is going to go down in as far as the robert covington road and i just i love mckeel burrs i think by the way this is um off of the rec off topic a little bit but the suns originally in 2016 when they had that that season they're really the first year of tanking their goal originally was to pair ben simmons with Devin booker so that'd be really ironic five six years down the line you pair those guys back together so that would be a really fun combo there. I think it would, like you say, take multiple future first-round picks, plus a guy like plus probably T.J. Warren. I think that makes sense, but I think the Suns or the Sixers wouldn't do that. I feel like, to be honest, we're talking about the Sixers for a second. I think they're going to they're gonna sign Tobias Harris. I think Jimmy Butler is going to walk, and I think Jimmy Butler 
this may be some hometown bias for me, but I think Jimmy Butler, the more I think about it, is a great fit with Victor Oladipo in Indiana. <laughs> yeah, I, I agree with you. I think Butler would definitely help there, but um, Mr. I just want to win, I think will actually end up valuing money, money and long-term security far more than the winning that Indiana has done. But I think, I mean, I agree that he'll probably end up somewhere else. I think the more likely thing in Philly is uh, Butler leaves, I think kind of mutual, mutual, just not, not a great fit. Who knows though? I mean, if, if he's the only guy that can do anything for them in these playoffs, it's going to be kind of tough to sell your fan base on moving away from the one guy who could do anything for you. And then I think it's realistic that they might, um, move off of their coach. But I think trading Simmons is probably unlikely, but I think the, the league should probably prepare for it. I mean, these things happen quickly. We say that every time they happen, and then we still get surprised when the next one comes. So looking out on the horizon, it feels like Simmons might be one of the more realistic guys to come loose around the league if someone were going to. And so I think he just would be somebody to kind of monitor if you're the Suns thinking about a point guard and keeping your options open there, but that would be a long shot. I just think obviously if, if he is anywhere near available, he skyrockets to the, to the top or near the top of, of my rankings for sure. Yeah, absolutely. Same with me. And I think just adding in this fact real quickly, he has the most aggressive and the most powerful agent in the NBA and rich Paul, and he loves to make his guys do for the best for the player. So Ben Simmons doesn't want to be Joel Embiid's sidekick. He's introduced first in the starting lineup all the time. Joel Embiid's introduced last Maybe he's getting jealous about that. I, I could easily see in a year or two that Ben Simmons tries to get out of Philly. He wants to have his own team. I could easily see that down the road. But I think we should end on this. Is it, this isn't even a question here. We just got this. I think we had three or four questions about this. So we should probably have this before we end today's show. TJ Warren trade. Do we think it's going to happen? Just some quick thoughts on this. Do you think it's going to happen? And where, if you had to guess, where do you think he's going to land? I, I went through a few in my mailbag my written mailbag as well. I know this is probably one of the biggest topics out there right now. And I would just, I would say kind of like I was mentioning before, there's two tracks that you can go right with a trade in general this summer for the Suns, And he could be a part of either one. I think he, the one I mentioned before is with the goal of offloading his salary, which of course he would be a part of that one. But I think he could also be a part of a draft night trade, depending on how things go. I think you could see him be, an option and, you know, an Aaron Gordon type of situation, anything where they're trading for a guy not on his rookie contract almost has to include Warren because they don't really want to get rid of anyone else except I guess Tyler Johnson would be the other option in those situations. So Aaron Gordon, uh, I, I posited maybe Warren Jackson and the Milwaukee first rounder for Aaron Gordon. Does that seem reasonable to you? Yeah, it does. I think definitely just with Josh Jackson improved play, and I think maybe the Bucks pick would be enough there if you had in a guy like Josh Jackson. If we're just if we're keeping Jackson out of it for some reason, I feel like the Suns like Jackson more than we do. As far as then everybody does, yeah, I agree with you. It just seems that way. So I think they're going to accept his player option, or excuse me, his team option for his fourth year and keep around for next year. See what happens. If he has the same start next year, I think his value to be in the tank. I think he's going to be dealt like Emmanuel Moody was in his third year just for a salary dump at the trade deadline. But any whom, I think if a TJ Warren trade happens, I think the one that makes a lot of sense is what you just mentioned. If the Suns were to trade their third or fourth pick in the draft with TJ Warren, move back 10 or 15 spots and get Aaron Gordon. I think that's a very fair trade. Yeah, I, I think that one makes sense. And we know they were connected again. Sean Devaney reported 
they were interested in Aaron Gordon. The Magic got that deal done fairly quickly, and the Suns decided to spend their money on Trevor Ariza. But that was seemed to be some interest there. Obviously, went to Arizona. I don't think that factors in a huge amount, but who knows? Maybe it does. The other two that I put in the the written mailbag that we can maybe bring up here, and then you tell me if you have any others. Sort of if you're thinking using Warren to upgrade the roster, not at the four position, but to create some extra flexibility. This might seem like an underpay as far as what the Suns could actually get. But so Indiana makes a little bit of sense to me to get some scoring off their bench, kind of what Tyreek Evans was supposed to be. And he's been awful and they probably won't bring him back, but give him to Indiana and then TJ leaf and the Pacers 2023 second. Am I just going crazy? Is that way too little to get back? I just think this guy missed half the season and can't play defense or pass. Yeah, I think that is too little. I think the I've actually been thought about the scenario where the Suns actually trade TJ Warren, like you just mentioned, in a scenario like that where they get a maybe a prospect back. But in that scenario, I think maybe the first round pick this year makes sense. Maybe like TJ Leaf in the 18th pick. I think that seems fair from their standpoint because I think TJ Warren's better than whatever they're going to get 18. But another scenario like that, maybe like the Sixers for the 24th pick, the Jazz for the 23rd pick, OKC for the 21st pick. Brooklyn for the 27th pick from Denver. I think there's a lot of teams at the back half of the first round that could easily trade their first round pick for a immediate contributor like a TJ Warren. I know for, we're bringing a, a lot of Pacer stuff on, on this podcast, but just as a fan grew up. Well, they have cap space. Yeah, they do. And if, if you think about it, they traded their first round pick, I think it was three years ago at this point, for Thaddeus Young straight up on draft. And I think Thaddeus Young was probably three years ago where TJ Warren was now as far as his stock goes. He's improved a lot in the end. And I think that maybe you trade TJ Warren for a first round pick in that 18 to 27 range and that can make a lot of sense i think that would be a a great scenario for the suns i'm skeptical i mean think about i think teams have gotten a lot less willing to trade first since then so the grizzlies didn't even get a first for marcus hole you know i don't i think it'll be tough i know he's younger but he's already gotten his second contract it's a reasonable contract but it's not like you're it's like it's a crazy bargain it's a good deal but it's a fair deal you know i think that he's kind of just getting paid what he's worth so if they could get a first i think they would hang up the phone call that trade into the league immediately yeah i agree with you there i think it's gonna be interesting to watch what happens just between now and july because i think we're both agreeing tj warren's the odd man out especially with kelly Oubre favoring tweets about wanting to stay in phoenix and him saying that the valley boys is trademark now you have josh jackson and mikhail bruce it just seems like he's definitely the odd man out and from his media day end of season media he was very quick to get out of there so i don't know if it's reading too much into things but i don't know about that yeah it'll be he's he's probably the the kind of i don't know he's he a person can't be an inflection point but i guess what they do with him will be the inflection point for the off season if they try to create cap space by just unloading him if they try to use his contract and his relatively decent value as part of a trade to get a better player whatever they do i think he'll be part of it. So uh, fascinating. And definitely you guys are right on the money, including him in so many questions. And we will be on top of any news with him as the season goes on. But I think that wraps up our mailbag. Yeah, it does. And apologies to not get to your question, guys. We had a lot this time. I think every time we do a mailbag, it it gets more and more. So if we didn't answer your question, we kind of alluded to it in different questions. So apologies for that. We didn't get, didn't get to you for time right now. We're running a little long today. So appreciate you guys listening. And as always, we're not going to be back to you guys tomorrow. We'll be back to you guys Wednesday and Friday throughout the rest of the offseason. So three times a week here on Locked on Suns. Tune in.